0: So it's been a while since I have been here. I believe it was last year, New Year's Day, and I see many familiar faces and a few unfamiliar ones. How many are visitors here today? Amen. Good to see you. And I hope when I come back again that you'll be part of the, uh, the church family here at Belleville. Um, as, I, as I come, I, I think about when I was here last, it was actually very cold. I don't know if you recall that New Year's Day. In fact, when I left, it was a winter storm. But I was very pleased that the temperature here was just right because the fellowship was very warm. And today, now that I return, it's a little warmer outside, but the fellowship temperature is still just right here. So thank you very much for being a very warm and accepting uh, fellowship. And we look forward to coming back, all my family and myself, to uh, worship and fellowship with you again. So with that, uh, I I, want to get into the Word, because we're going to really work our Bibles today. Are you prepared to work your Bibles? Amen. Amen. And so before we get right into the Word, let me start off with a story to prepare us. There was a woman who got off work, had a long day, goes to the bus stop bus comes along, and she gets on. She looks down the aisle of the bus, and she sighs. It's rush hour. The bus is packed, not a seat to be had, and the aisle is completely full. She works her way down the aisle, pushing through people, sliding past others looking desperately for a handhold lurching forward as the bus driver stops and starts and she mercifully finds a place to grab on. Right below her hand is that of another man. And when the man sees her hold on to this handhold he perks up. Hi, my name's Jonathan. The woman looks up and sighs. I've had a long day, she says. I just want to stand here. The man has a puzzled look on his face, but he continues to stare at her and doesn't say a word. The bus goes along, and eventually Jonathan's stop comes up. He presses the bell, and he says to the woman, this is my stop. The woman looks up, and she's thinking, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. Did I not just tell him, I just want to stay? But before she could even finish her thought, Jonathan said, this is my stop, and this is my pole. I bought it for my shower head, and I would like to take it with me as I get off the bus. Her jaw drops as he walks off, the bus. Sometimes we are like that. We hold on to things to give us comfort without realizing what they're grounded in. Sometimes we hold on to things in this world not realizing that what we think is going to give us comfort could actually be taken away at any time. For some of us, that might be money. We believe that if we have money, then you know we have lifelong comfort. For others, it would be power. It could be power at work. It could be power in an organization. But if you have power, you have some measure of control, some measure of comfort in your life. Others, it's recognition. If I am recognized for the good work I do, whether it is here, at work, wherever it is, then that gives me a sense of of peace in my mind. And for many of us, it is relationships, a place, a safe harbor to come to at the end of a long day. Now, in and of themselves, these things are actually not bad. But the problem comes when Jesus comes along and reaches out his hand to us and says, I want to take you higher in your ministry. I want to take you higher in your life. I want to take you higher in your relationship with me. Sometimes we are so comfortable holding on to the things of this world that when he holds out his hand, we are reluctant to let go. Sometimes it takes a disaster in our life for us to realize that what we were holding on to in this world was never really any permanent grounding, and that we let go, and then only at that time do we reach out for Christ. Today we're going to look at a story Of a person who was in a desperate situation, who was holding on to things in this world, and realized that their only option was to reach out for Christ. And when she did, the transformation was miraculous. So the message today is called What Are You Holding On To? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, It is now your time. This is your word that you are delivering through me. Lord, whatever shortcomings that I have, hide me behind the cross. So that the words that come forth are the words that you need your people to hear. I ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are going to look at a well-known story of a woman with an issue of blood. We're going to find this story in Mark chapter 5. It's actually written throughout the Gospels in Matthew chapter 11 and as well as in Luke chapter 8. But we're going to start off in Mark chapter 5. And as you're turning there uh, to the New Testament, Mark chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verse 25, I want to give you a little bit of background to this story. It's a very interesting story because the chapter before... Jesus had just uh, healed a person filled with demons. And he was actually on his way to go heal a little girl. And we have this tiny little story. In the secular world, they would say, well, this is a filler episode or a commercial. But for those of us that know Christ, we know that there is no such thing as a filler in his ministry. Everything that he does is to Help us understand God's character and our relationship with him. So that is the background to this story. So we're going to start at Mark chapter 5, verse 25. I will have the text on the screen, but I encourage you to follow along in your own Bibles. So we begin. And it says, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Now let's pause here, because there is a lot going on in this one verse. And as we will study, we will see that this woman is suffering from actually two things. How many did I say? Two. She's suffering from a physical condition and a spiritual one. Let's start to unpack this a little bit. Now, a woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. What we are talking about here is a woman that is suffering from an abnormally long menstrual period. An abnormally long menstrual cycle. Now, gentlemen, I know this is something that sometimes makes us a little uncomfortable. We don't know much about and we don't want to know much about. But for this story... We actually have to understand what is going on because it's critical to understanding this woman's condition and to help us understand why this story is here in the Gospels. So bear with me, gentlemen. Now, if this woman had come into a modern doctor's office today with this condition, the doctor would say, okay, I know what you have. The condition is called menorrhagia. It's where your cycle is abnormally long. This can be caused by a number of different things, but generally it's a hormonal imbalance. So it could be a dysfunction of the ovaries. Or it could be a condition of fibroids. Many women suffer with fibroids today. It could also be an infection of the uterine wall or other health conditions such as a bleeding disorder or a thyroid condition. Now, even though this doctor would know exactly what the condition is, as you can see, because it's caused by so many different things, he would have to send this woman off for a variety of medical tests. And when you're going through that kind of process, it really is a form of suffering because you have to put off your schedule. Has anyone here ever had to go for a variety of medical tests for any condition? So then you, you know, in fact, I'll, I'll share a personal story where I, I, when I was young, I had childhood asthma. Had it very, very bad. I was in and out of hospitals from the age of five up until about the age, last time was 13. And we had to get a number of tests done on me just to figure out the right dosages of medication. And I remember one day there was a woman who was a practicing nurse, or I don't, I don't know if you call a practicing nurse, maybe an apprentice nurse, on her way to becoming a full nurse, and she had to take my blood. And if that's ever happened to you, well, I will remember you in my prayers because she put the needle in and couldn't find the vein and pulled it back out and put it in and then pulled it back and then in one more time and here I am a little boy and I'm thinking to myself you know she's not pumping up a tire (laughs) but it's a form of suffering and so we understand now when we go back to this verse it says that she suffered many things from many physicians it's not that these physicians were bad they were trying what they could with their technology And she was doing whatever she could. She was holding on to the belief that this was the way for her to be healed. It was the only option for her. It says, too, she spent all that she had. Now, this is something we can't really appreciate with universal health care. But for many of our brothers and sisters in the United States, just a small condition can lead to bankruptcy. She spent all that she had. But here's the thing. It, she did not get better. But she grew worse. Now we need to understand this. Because when you are losing blood, you're losing something in the blood called hemoglobin. And hemoglobin is essential for carrying oxygen throughout all of our body. And when you lose a lot of hemoglobin, when your level goes from normal down to a very critical level, you will get something called anemia. And anemia is a very serious situation. A mild anemia, you might look a little pale. You might feel fatigued. If it's very serious, you can get heart palpitation sweats, and it can even lead to heart attack and potentially death. This woman's situation grew no better, but it grew worse. Now, I want to bring the gentleman back in, because anemia is not something just experienced by women. There was a study done in a journal called Hematologica, everything to do with the blood. January 2009, and they found that men suffer from anemia too. Again, so when you consider that, you think to yourself, well, I'm tired. Maybe you might be, but it could be something else going on. They found that as you get older, 18% of our entire population will have some form of anemia. If you're 85 or older, that rises to a little bit more than 20%. But in this one study, alarmingly, they found that people that were in elder care facilities had anemia rates as high as 60%. This is a critical health issue. Thank God we are in a church that has a health message that can help with this kind of thing. But this woman, whose situation was growing worse, she was in a medically desperate situation. Now, I said there was two things going on. She had a physical condition and a spiritual one. Now, you might be asking, well, what is a spiritual one, Sean? Well, this is where we're going to work our Bibles now. Turn with me. We are going to go to the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 15, verse 25. Leviticus chapter 15, verse 25. When you have it, please say amen. I hear a few pages turning. So we're going to understand this woman's spiritual condition. Leviticus chapter 15 verse 25, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days other than at the time of her customary impurity or if it runs beyond her usual time of impurity. In other words, if she has menorrhagia, all the days of her unclean discharge shall be the days of her uh, or she shall be considered unclean. And it goes on, verse 26, Every bed on which she lies, and a little further down, on whatever she sits on, shall be unclean. And whoever, and whoever so touches those things shall be unclean. He shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until the evening. You see, in Jewish custom at the time, they believed any spiritual uncleanliness, uncleanliness was almost like an an infection. So if I was spiritually unclean for whatever the reason, if I touch this podium, I make this podium unclean. If somebody came up afterwards to minister and touch this podium, they then become unclean. So what this means for this woman is not only is she suffering from a health condition, but she cannot even go to temple. She cannot even go to church to have her condition prayed for, for people to lay hands on her, for her to raise up her prayers herself to God, because she would not be allowed in. She would be considered unclean. Sometimes in our churches, we can be as unforgiving as that. Somebody comes in and they have issues going on. And instead of rushing to them in prayer, we say, oh no, you know, we make a judgment about their lifestyle. We say, we don't want any part of that. Don't, Don't hang around with them. We don't want to be affected by that condition. We need to be very generous for those here in our church and those out in our community that are seeking Christ. We can't make judgments. But I want to make this even more real. I want to introduce you to two individuals here on the screen. Thomas Hughes and Miriam Alexander. Thomas Hughes and Miriam Alexander. Let's start with Thomas. Thomas is the kind of young man that every parent would like to raise. There's a young man, the parent's sacrifice put him in private school. They actually paid $50,000 a year in a private school in Milford, Connecticut. As I said, the kind of child every parent would like to raise, have that kind of money to, to put into their child. But he did very well. And he went to university. And at university he did well too. Well liked by his peers did well in his courses. Captain of one of the sports teams. And then when he graduated, he decided he would go into investment banking. So he left and went to the heart of the investment wall in New York. He worked for some of the very big investment houses. And he was doing extremely well, lots of money. You know, investment bankers, they do very well. In fact, there's this joke uh, about them that goes like this. A young investment banker finally hits the big time and decides he's going to get his first custom-tailored suit. He walks into the tailor. Tailor puts on the jacket, leans down and is making the measurement. The man is looking, saying, yes, very fine material. But as he inspects it closer, he realizes there's no pockets. The pockets. He stops and he looks down at the tailor. He says, "You know, this is a fine material. I've never seen such an exquisite suit. But where are the pockets?" And the tailor gets up, slings his measuring tape around his shoulder. He says, "But you're an investment banker, right?" The man says, "Yes, yes, I am." He says, "Well, since when does an investment banker put his hands in his own pockets?" You see, an investment banker takes other people's money and makes money with it for them and for themselves. So he was doing very well. He was living in a place called Ocean Front Apartments, where a one-bedroom apartment sold for a million dollars. I'm sure if he added a bunk bed to it, it would sell for a million, too. But he was doing very well. At the top of his game, he was in a position, he had power, he had authority, making money, considered a success by every way a person would consider success. His parents said, how are you doing? He said, I am doing fine. The only issue is that this work is stressful. But you know what? When you reach that level, you've got to put up with a little bit of stress. But that stress was a lot, and he decided, I need to find a way to get rid of some of this stress. So he decided to hold on to the way most people let go of stress. He reached for alcohol and just started drinking with his buddies. He didn't become an alcoholic. He just would go out and drink. But then he moved from the socially acceptable drug of alcohol to cocaine, and he would have low cocaine and alcohol parties with his friends just to blow off steam he didn't become addicted just to blow off steam let's take a look at miriam alexander miriam she was not wealthy her parents were not wealthy but she grew up in a good stable home her parents did her best for their best for her and as she grew up and went into university she says in her diary that she was approached by a number of people to engage into a lesbian lifestyle she said no that was not really her thing but they kept encouraging her they kept encouraging her and she said you know what, I'll, i'll try it and she says about her personality that she was one that if she was in it she was in it to win it so she didn't have just one girlfriend she had and when she graduated, you know, she did well. She had, as she says, the house, the picket fence, the dog, and two girlfriends. And in this party lifestyle that this particular social group was, they would take her to places to enjoy life. So she got into alcohol. She became addicted to alcohol. And she got involved with cocaine. And she became addicted to cocaine. She knew her lifestyle was not right. She said, there has to be something that's changed. I I just know in my soul that this is not right. And then she heard it about an evangelistic series. She came in, she heard the message, and she gave her heart to Christ and joined the church. Now, that's not the end of her story, because even though she had joined the church, she had still... Holding on to her past lifestyle. She writes in her diary how here I am, a greeter in the church. I am addicted to alcohol, cocaine. I have this lifestyle relationship problem that's going on, and I can't seem to get out of it. I'm a complete mess. She was uncomfortable approaching people in her church. Because she felt that they would look upon her and say that she was unclean. So she was spiritually, if you will, bleeding out. We have in our communities, in our churches, Thomases and Miriams, people that are spiritually bleeding out and need help, need prayer, need support. They're holding on to things and they don't know how to let go. How do we help them? Well, to understand that we have to go back to the woman with an issue of blood. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 8, verse 44. And as you're turning, I'll give you a little bit more background. You see, this woman, she had held on and tried everything according to what the world would say you need to do to get rid of this issue of blood. But it wasn't working. And her situation was getting worse. Perhaps she felt the heart palpitations. Perhaps she was feeling sweats and was wondering what to do. But fortunately for her, She was around at the time when Jesus was nearby. Jesus, as I said before, had just finished healing somebody. was on his way to heal somebody else. People were all around him trying to understand and and learn about his ministry and his healing. The woman had heard about Jesus, but she didn't have a personal relationship with him. She could not, especially in her condition, come up and just say, hi, Jesus, my name is. But she knew enough that his ministry of healing, the gospel that he was preaching, was transforming. And so she says in her mind, and this is read in one of the other gospels, if I can only but touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. So in Luke 8, verse 44, it says that she came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood was stopped. She experienced a miracle in an instant. Twelve long years she was suffering through her condition. And in an instant... She was healed. But this is where it starts to get interesting. We need to understand the mechanism by which she was healed. In this scripture here on the screen, there is one word that describes the key to her healing. What, What was it, church? Tell me. Be bold. Tell me. Touched. Touched. Okay, and that is a good answer because, of course, touching Christ was essential to her healing. But the key where this sermon gets interesting is is actually in the word border. Now you're sitting and you're saying, okay, where is he going? I followed him up to there. Border? Surely it must be touch. Touch is important, but the key in this woman's healing was the fact that she reached out and held the border of his garment. Now, we're going to dig into our Bibles and we're going to start to understand this. But first, we need to understand that the New Testament was written originally in what language? Greek. Greek, yes, Koine Greek. And when you look at the original Greek at the word border, you will see it looks like this, which is pronounced crossbodon. Everybody say crossbodon. All right, I'm going to make you all biblical scholars today. You're well on your way. So crossbodon. And crossbodon could actually also be translated as a tassel, a tassel or a fringe. Saying, okay, Sean, I'm following you, but I'm not getting it. That's okay. Hold on. Now, to understand the role of the tassel in this woman's healing, turn with me now to the Old Testament. We are going to look at the book of Numbers, chapter 15. Numbers, chapter 15. And we're going to look at verse 38. This is where God himself is speaking to Moses. And it says in verse 38, Numbers chapter 15, Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corner of their garments. And if you read through a little bit further, you'll see it's blue tassels. And in verse 39, it says, And you shall have the tassel, that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them, and that you may not follow the harlotry which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. In other words, this tassel was to be a reminder of God's commandments and his promises. A reminder not to hold on to the desires of our heart and the things of this world, but to hold on to the commandments and the promises. In other words, this woman reached out in faith to hold on to the commandments and the promises that were embodied in Jesus Christ, she reached out to the one thing on his garment, which is a remindment, a reminder of those promises. For us today, those promises is not a tassel, it is the Word of God in the Bible. She reached out in faith, perhaps saying in her mind, Psalm 103. Bless, my soul, uh, bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget not his benefits, for he forgives my iniquities and he heals my diseases. She reached out in faith, not having a personal relationship with Christ, but believing that he embodied God's character, his promises, and that touch, based on her faith, made her whole. We can reach out for that same tassel today. For whatever condition ails us. And we can be healed as well. But we're not done yet. Because we know from the story that when the woman touches Jesus, Jesus feels that power come out of him. And he turns around and says, who touched me? And the woman is terrified. Now, she's just been healed by her Savior. She's been healed in her faith. Yet, she is terrified. Now, because we are now biblical scholars, we actually now understand why. Because according to Jewish custom, was this woman clean or unclean? Unclean. So she technically, in her mind, thought she could transfer her uncleanness onto Christ. She was afraid. She wanted healing. And that's why she came up from behind and just, I'm just going to reach out in faith. But now she's been found out. Imagine her horror. Everybody is looking at her. Her savior, her healer. And in her mind she's thinking, I have just infected him. Jesus knows exactly what she's thinking he turns around in love in understanding in comfort and says to her in Luke chapter 8 verse 48 he says to her daughter be of good cheer your faith has made you well in some versions I like made you whole go in peace Jesus knew where her fear was coming from. He let her know, you cannot infect me. I am here to remove the sins of the entire world. This is my ministry. So don't be afraid. It was your faith in the promises, in God's commandments, embodied in me and my ministry that made you whole. Go in peace. We can have that same peace today. We just need to reach out and let go of what we're holding on to. But we have to finish the story of Thomas and Miriam. Thomas, he continued to do well. He continued to earn lots of money. And he still had the stress He would go on vacations, but he would still work through his vacations. He would still go with his friends and drink alcohol and engage in cocaine. And something happened. It's still not clear. But in one of those parties, he fell from a very tall balcony and he died. This happened just last year, towards the end of 2015. Thomas... Hughes died at the age of 29. A man who, by all standards, worldly standards, had everything to live for is now gone. Miriam Alexander, she struggled with her relationships, her homosexual relationships. She struggled with her addictions. She writes in her diary how. One night, she had a bottle of Jack Daniels and a plate of cocaine and tears streaming out her eyes, saying, Jesus, save me from this. I cannot do it alone. I need your help. She continued on, and she went out with her girlfriends and for a night of partying and drinking and cocaine. Came home, and she went to sleep. She woke up the next day and she had no desire for alcohol or drugs. And I'm not saying just for a minute or an hour or a week. It was gone completely. Now the relationships took a little bit longer but she is now free from that entire lifestyle. She has finally been able to let it all go. Now, what is the difference between Thomas and Miriam? It's not because one is a man and the other is a woman. It's not because one is white or the other is black. It's not because one has money and the other does not. It has everything to do with what they were holding on to. Thomas was holding on to the belief that the the outlets, that all of his co-workers were doing was the way that was going to bring him peace. Miriam, in the midst in the midst of her pain her trials, her difficulty she kept calling out to Jesus. She kept claiming his promises. She kept holding on at all costs. She went through 10 years of this suffering. And she's now been free for almost about the same amount of time. There is healing in holding on to Jesus. There is healing in holding on to his promises. So when Christ calls each and every one of us, as he does right now, as he does today, I'm going to ask the question, What are you holding on to? We all, every one of us, from the speaker to everyone, are holding on to something that keeps us from having a closer relationship with Christ. Reflect in your hearts. Ask yourself, what are you prepared to let go? So when He calls you, you can have that more powerful increase in your ministry. You can have that recognition of knowing that you are a son or a daughter of, of God or that you can know that you have a place in his kingdom. If there is anyone here today that is prepared to let go and allow Christ to lead them, I just want you to raise your hand with me. Amen. You can put your hands down. If there is anyone here today that has heard this message and is thinking to themselves, I want to walk closer with Christ. I want to go forward in baptism. I need to let go of the things I've been holding on to this world. I just want you to show with a raise of hands. Amen. Amen. I want to ask everyone that has lifted a hand to just rise with me, please. And if you will, I want to ask that we just come forward. We're just going to pray together. And as we do that, if if there is still anyone who is thinking that they would like to have that relationship with Christ, if there's something that they're holding on to, you might be saying to yourself but you know I don't really know Jesus just yet I don't know him that well but I want you to remember the story that we heard the woman did not know Christ she did not have a relationship but she reached out in faith this is your time to just come forward and we will pray for you as well so if there's any one other person that wants to come forward looking for baptism thinking about baptism thinking about Uh, making their relationship with Christ deeper, just come forward at this time so we can just pray for you. Okay, Let us all kneel in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this story in your word about the woman with the issue of blood. We realize now, Lord, That the message, in essence, is that we need to let go of the things in this world. We don't know what they're rooted upon and they can be taken away in an instant. But you are eternal. You reach out to us, you call us, you are prepared to heal us and take us higher in our ministries, in our lives than we can ever imagine. We just have to have that faith and reach out. Lord, we have people here in the front who have said that they're prepared to let go. We have people in the pews who in their hearts have said, we are ready to let go. I ask God that you pour out your Holy Spirit upon each and every one of them. Whatever they may be holding on to, whatever they may be fearful about letting go, help them, Lord. Show them your hand. Show them that there is more comfort being in you than there is holding on to this world. For those, Lord, that have asked about or are desiring in their hearts to get to know you better, to, do, to go forward in baptism, I ask, God, that you have a special blessing upon them because the journey begins and it's a wonderful journey. I ask that you guide them along that process, that path. I ask, Lord, too, that you also be with this church as it continues to go out into the community, that whatever may be holding it back, whatever people may be holding on to, that you lead them in strength and power so that they will cling to you and that this church will be a powerful instrument for winning souls for your kingdom. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.